0: Uh, R.C. Sproul gives an example, and I want to start with this. He says that if your teacher tells you to scan a textbook, what do you think the teacher is telling you to do? Well, it could mean a few things. Uh, Nowadays, it probably means you actually take the textbook to the copier and you scan it, and you either get copies or email it. It could mean that you open it up and you lightly skim the pages for the information. Or uh, if you want the classical definition of the word scan, scan actually meant to, used to mean to look deeply into something, uh, not lightly skim. And so really there's a few options based on how you define the word scan. And that's just an example to us this morning that is helpful to think about as we begin to think about justification, because definitions matter, and we're going to see that a lot. So this morning, we're starting part one on justification. It's going to take at least two parts, probably three, Uh, but it is well worth it. So I want to start with this statement. I already started, but I'm going to say this statement, and I want you to think about whether it's true or not. All who accept Christ as Lord and Savior are brothers and sisters in Christ. All who accept Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior are brothers and sisters in Christ. Up front, that sounds like a very solid statement. Uh, It sounds uh, like a lot of what we looked at on Christmas. Uh, If you were here for that sermon, Luke chapter 2, the angels come and they announce the good news. And what is the good news? It's that today is born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, right? Christ is Savior and Lord. So that sounds very solid. This statement comes from... uh, a gathering, I'll call it, of evangelicals and Catholics together. This is a document that they put out in 1994. So a handful of top people, uh, not representing Catholics or evangelicals, but just people who were Catholics and evangelicals, in the 90s came together and they uh, were looking for agreement between Catholics and evangelicals. And this statement comes from Them. And specifically, the next thing they say makes it uh, even clearer their thoughts on this because they state that not only is it all who accept Christ as Lord and Savior are brothers and sisters in Christ, but then they say evangelicals and Catholics are brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's their logic. All who accept Christ as Lord and Savior are brothers and sisters. Catholics accept that. Evangelicals accept that. They're brothers and sisters. But we need to ask the question whether or not that is accurate. Because really the answer to this question gets again at this idea of whether or not we are on the same mission with Catholics or whether they themselves are part of the mission field. So when you look at this statement, really what it comes down to is not... The term Christ or Lord or Savior, those are very important words. But generally speaking, there's a lot of agreement between Catholics and Protestants about who Jesus is. Uh, Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's born of a virgin. We agree on those things. Catholics generally have a high view of Christ and doctrinally sound view, orthodox, you might say. But really what it comes down to is this word except. What does it mean to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior? And that's really where the understanding differs. And really this gets at the topic of justification because justification is about righteousness. It's about right standing before God. And so the question is, how can we have a right standing before God, how can a person be justified? That's the question of salvation. That's the question of how we can have eternal life. That's at the heart of salvation. And so really, this idea of justification gets to the heart of the gospel. And it gets, it gets us thinking about the idea of how do we actually accept Jesus so that we are justified. Because That's where the difference is. And so this morning, uh, I'll kind of sprinkle in the differences between Catholics and Protestants because Catholics and Protestants would answer this question differently. How can we have right standing before God? There's a different answer. Uh, But I want to look at the Bible and use this as always as our rule of faith. Uh, Romans chapter 3 is where I want to look at this morning uh, as we think about justification. Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through 26, some consider this the most important paragraph in the Bible. And that's probably not an overstatement, although we know all of the Bible is profitable uh, and is divinely inspired and good for us. This is a very important paragraph. Uh, This is Romans chapter 3. Uh, We're going to start in verse 20 and go through verse 26. So I'll just read that first. The word of the Lord says this. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So in this passage, uh, you see the word justify or justification several times, which is why we're in this passage. Uh, You'll notice as you just start reading verses 20 through 22, talk about justification coming through faith and not through the law. Uh, This is the only way to be justified because, the reasoning goes, everyone is in the same situation. That's verse 23. Everyone's a sinner and is not up to God's standard, and therefore everyone needs to be justified and everyone must be justified by God's grace as a gift. And so we notice the second half of 20, verse 24 and then into 25 that this justification is through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus is a propitiation for our sins. We believe that. We have faith. We trust that in him. And we are Justified. So this lays out how we are justified. Again, remember, justification is the idea of having right standing before God or being righteous in God's eyes. So let's think for a second about this word propitiation because this is important. Propitiation, not a word we use a lot of the time, means to appease the wrath of God. So This is Jesus' death on the cross, his blood appeased the wrath of God and makes him favorable and merciful to us. That's what propitiation does. And this really picks up on the Old Testament of the sacrificial system. This is what those things were pointing us towards, specifically in the book of Leviticus. Again, another reason why Leviticus is important in the Bible but this is what those sacrifices taught us, that Christ would be the perfect sacrifice to cover our sins and satisfy the just wrath of God. And so Christ does the propitiation, giving us right standing. He appeases God's wrath and gives us right standing so that we are no longer under God's wrath, but we have favor with God. We're, uh, we're brought into his family. We're not enemies, but we're reconciled and made citizens in his kingdom. And so how is it that we receive that right standing? In other words, how is Christ's work on the cross, his sacrifice, actually applied to us? Because we know not everyone is saved. That's a different discussion we could have, but I think we understand not everyone gets this applied to them. Christ's sacrifice doesn't cover everyone's sins. We're not universalists, in other words. Everyone will not be saved. So how is it that that's applied to us, well, it's through faith that's clear in this passage. God's gracious and gives us this right standing when we place our faith in him to save us. Faith alone is the instrument that God uses to justify us, and specifically, I'll say it here, we'll talk more about this next week, but specifically, it's through faith excluding works, and we see that clear in this passage. So next week, if you want a preview, we'll talk about justification and works and how those things fit together and how we're justified by faith alone. That'll be next week. But the thing this morning to focus on is that justification, this right standing with God, is not because we are actually righteous. We are not justified because we are perfect and righteous We are justified because God declares us righteous because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. We're not perfect. Jesus is perfect. We have perfection or right standing or righteousness in the eyes of God, not because we actually are perfect, but because Jesus was perfect and his righteousness is applied to us. Um, uh, declared. That's why this is declarative. It's a it's a legal standing. In other words, it's like the judge is sitting on the seat and he says, "You are not guilty. You're in the clear. You're in good standing." Right. This is what justification is. This is not the Catholic view, and that's very important. The Catholic view is that if God were a judge and he declared someone to be righteous, he justified them, when they were not actually righteous. So, like, if you're a criminal and you actually commit murder, and the judge says, no, you're not, like, the evidence is clear, everything's clear, but the judge says, no, you're not a murderer. Uh, Well, one, that wouldn't be a good judge, but the judge can't actually do that, right? He can't declare that. He can't declare you righteous when you're not actually righteous. The only way the judge is supposed to say you're in the clear is that if you didn't actually do it, right? So the Catholics would say this idea of declaration, of God saying that we're righteous even though we still have sin, is just a legal fiction. This is words they use. Because in the Catholic view, no good judge would declare us righteous if we're not righteous, And so what justification is in the Catholic view is not a declaration, but is actually an infusion of righteousness or an impartation of righteousness to us so that in order to be justified, we actually have true righteousness in the eyes of God. The reason God says we're righteous is because we actually are. We are actually perfect. We're actually sinless. Now, if you're following the flow here, that means, and you would be correct in saying, that very few people are actually justified in the eyes of God in this life. Uh, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll come back to that. But it's the idea that righteousness is infused. It's not imputed. And that's kind of the word. That's If you really want to get down to it, those are the two words. Is the righteousness of God imputed to us? This is the Protestant view. Or is it infused or imparted into us? This is the Catholic view. And that difference makes a world of difference. It's it's, Frankly, it's a different gospel when it comes down to it. So I'll give you some Catholic statements, and then we'll come back around to think about it some more. So Catholic statements on this. Council of Trent said that if anyone says... That men are justified either by the sole imputation of the justice of Christ, or by the sole remission of sins to the exclusion of the grace and the charity which is poured forth in their hearts by the Holy Ghost, and remind, and uh, I wrote that word down wrong, remain in them, or also that the grace by which we are justified is only the goodwill of God, let him be anathema. That's the Council of Trent. So to be clear, they're saying if you believe that you are justified by an imputation of uh, righteousness or you're declared righteous without actually being righteous, without an infusion of grace, then that's heresy. It's anathema. That's what they say. And that is uh, still the case today, although you won't see as many anathemas pronounced today. But you can look at the Catholic Catechism and see their understanding of justification. They define it this way. Justification includes the remission of sins, sanctification, and the renewal of the inner man. And so in our view, justification is just a declaring of us to be righteous. But in the Catholic view... Because in order to be justified, you actually have to be righteous without sin. Justification includes sanctification. Like you actually have to eliminate sin from your life before you can be just and right in the eyes of God. This is how we are righteous. And so that means uh, basically everyone except the saints in the Catholic Church is not going to be justified until all sin is purged from you. This is kind of where the doctrine of purgatory comes in. Uh, That also explains some of what the doctrine of the saints is. We'll get to that at a future time. That's a little teaser for how those fit in. But a person is justified according to the Catholic Church when their sin is eliminated from their life. That's how we're declared righteous, when we actually are righteous. So... I would say, and I think we see from Romans 3, that that is not the biblical understanding of justification. God doesn't wait to declare us to be righteous until we are actually sinless. But God declares us to be righteous even though we still have sin in our lives in spite of the sin in our lives. Again, because it's based on Jesus and his righteousness, Not based on what we do. So you can see this in Romans 3, uh, verse 25. We see this specifically that when it says at the end that God, in his divine forbearance, passed over former sins. And so, what is going on here? It's saying that in the Old Testament, that there were people like Abraham, like David who had faith and who were declared righteous. We see that in chapter 4, and they still had sin in their lives. I mean, you can think about Abraham, you can think about David, right? They had sin in their lives. They were not perfect, and yet they were justified. They were (laughs) declared righteous and good standing in the eyes of God. And why is that? Well, it's because they had faith. It's because they were not trusting in what they were doing. They were trusting in the word of God to them, the promise of God. Specifically, we understand that that is fulfilled, that that faith finds its fulfillment in Jesus, that Jesus is the one that we have faith in and are declared righteous. Jesus, their faith was in Jesus, not because... They believed in Jesus, and God gave them grace to obey and achieve righteousness, but because he counted them as righteous when they had faith. I mean, even in Romans chapter 4, what does it say? That Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so this is really the difference between Protestantism and Catholicism. If you had to boil it down to one thing, this is what Martin Luther said, and what, frankly, a lot of people have affirmed since then, that the the doctrine of justification and being saved by faith alone is really the doctrine on which the church stands or falls. And this is the difference between a true gospel and a false gospel. Is it that we are saved and given right standing with God because of what Jesus has done alone and his righteousness, or because of his righteousness, then infused in us, and because of what we do as well. That is the difference, and that is a major, major difference. So, just to flesh this out a little bit more before we wrap up this morning, you can look at Romans chapter 4, verse 8. This is David. And David specifically also gives this understanding. He understood that this was a declaration, right? So in Romans 4, 8, it says, Blessed, this is David from the Psalms, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So it's not that you're without sin. It's that your sin isn't counted against you. Again, this is a legal declaration of God. You can look also at Romans chapter 5, verse 1, and see the same idea. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that past tense is helpful because we we have obtained justification. Like it's already happened. Paul's not saying it's something that you're waiting for until you're, Sin gets totally scrubbed from your life and you stand for God at the end. No, you're you're justified now and have peace with God and right standing with God now. And so this is why Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, which is another important verse in this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 says, By a single offering, Christ has perfected. Notice the tense there. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So in other words, God declares us righteous. We are perfect, even though we're still being sanctified, even though we still have sin in our lives. Uh, Catholics deny this. This is the major difference. You cannot be justified when there is sin in your life, in the Catholic view. But this is not what we believe the gospel to say that we have been perfected, even though we are still being sanctified. We are reckoned perfect, even though we are still in sin. And so really, this idea of imputation is central to the gospel. Without it, uh, we don't have right standing with God. We are still waiting for right standing. This is why Martin Luther was so concerned and distraught, if you know his testimony. Part of the reason he was so lacking peace, such like a Romans 5.1 statement, he didn't have peace because he was not confident, according to the Roman system, that God would accept him, that he had right standing with God, and it, it bothered him. That's an understatement. It bothered him for a long time, and it was only when he understood these truths from Romans that he understood that no righteousness comes through faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone, to the glory of God alone. And so this matters for the gospel, not just for our righteousness, but it also matters for the removal of our sin. I won't really get into this, but let me just end with saying this. Not only is it that Christ's righteousness is imputed to us, But our sin is imputed to Jesus. That's the other aspect of this. If imputation is not how this works, then Jesus didn't take our sins on the cross. Because if we have the righteousness of Christ infused into us, imparted into us, well then how did our sin go to Jesus? Our sin didn't actually get infused into Jesus. He was sinless. He was perfect. Instead, God as a judge imparted, or, or not imparted, but he declared, he counted, he reckoned our sin to be taken care of because of Christ's sacrifice. Not because he was literally sin, but because he was being a sacrifice in the place of our sins. In other words, that's imputation. That's not impartation. That's not infusion. The only way our sins are dealt with is if our sins are reckoned to Jesus. So on the flip side, if that's how that works with with our sins, with Jesus, we also understand that the righteousness of Jesus is reckoned to us, declared to us as well. And so this is the doctrine of how we gain right standing with God. Of course, we understand that God does give us righteousness. He is sanctifying us, but that's not in order to gain right standing with him. We already have right standing with him through faith, alone. And so we'll continue to look at that next week as we think about the interplay of faith and works in the idea of justification.